Welcome to the Holmesville Church of the Brethren. This is the worship service for Sunday, May 15th, 2022. It is the fifth Sunday of Easter. Join in our call to worship. In the midst of creation, God's dwelling is here. In the midst of our mourning, God's dwelling is here. In the midst of our crying, God's dwelling is here. In the midst of our pain, God's dwelling is here. In the midst of our joy, God's dwelling is here. In all things, God's dwelling is here.
God of creation, we thank you for the beauty of the earth and the ways it reflects your handiwork. We ask your forgiveness for the ways we have disregarded what you have made, treating it as a tool for our own ends. You have promised to dwell among us, making your home among mortals in the new heaven and the new earth. Until then, dwell with us now as we gather to worship you this day. In the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God, we pray this day for all who have a song they cannot sing, for all who have a burden they cannot bear, for all who live in chains they cannot break, 
for all who wander homeless and cannot return, for those who are sick and for those who tend them, for those who wait for loved ones and wait in vain, for those who live in hunger and for those who will not share their bread, for those who are misunderstood and for those who misunderstand, for those who are captives and for those who are captors, for those whose words of love are locked within their hearts and for those who yearn to hear those words. Have mercy upon these, O God. Have mercy upon us all. Amen. Our scripture is from John thirteen thirty-one through 35 When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Revelation 21, 1-6 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. I don't usually preach out of the book of Revelation. In fact, as a rule, I tend to stay out of the book of Revelation. While some people enjoy trying to correlate contemporary events with the vivid word pictures in Revelation, I do not. In fact, I believe that the book of Revelation tells more about the past than it does about the present. Under the emperor Domitian, the Christians near the end of the first century were facing unremitting persecution. The purpose of Revelation was to comfort those Christians who were under such intense pressure from Rome and from the Jewish leaders of the day the same power structures which had crucified Jesus. John is writing to early Christians. John is not necessarily writing to 21st century Americans. 
It can be a fun game to line up the beasts of Revelation with Russia and Putin and China, for example, but this is not what John had in mind. John's purpose in writing Revelation was to comfort the Christians of his own day. John's message was this, although Caesar was deadly and dreadful, Caesar was not going to ultimately win the day. Because who was pictured on the throne in John's revealing? Not Caesar. God is on the throne. And the lamb that was slain is standing next to the throne. Instead of shouting out, Hail Caesar, the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice proclaim, Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then John recounts, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The secret John is revealing is this. We may think we know who is in charge, be it Caesar or a president or some earthly power, but we are wrong. God is ultimately in charge. This was what my Bible teacher taught us in college. There are only two things you need to know about the message of Revelation. One, God has a plan. Two, God is carrying out God's plan. Anything else is just speculation. Besides that, if God is carrying out God's plan, it makes no difference whether I am in on the secret or not. God will carry out that plan with or without my knowledge or understanding, much less with my permission. So to those who get all hot about barcodes being the mark of the beast and a cashless society ushering in the Antichrist, I will say, calm down, take a breath. Your imposition of modern tropes on ancient scripture is probably pretty far from accurate. So what can we glean from reading Revelation? Not a prediction about when the world will end. Not expertise about whom and what the symbols and figures mean. But just what the author intended. Comfort and faith. All will be well. Evil will not win. God is on the throne. All will be made new. The dwelling place of God is here with us human beings. God is with us. God is with us. Where have we heard this before? Last week's scripture, the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 4. The picture of the good shepherd. At Christmas time, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1, 23. And again, 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Again and again, in the Old Testament and the New, we are told of a God who is with us. We are told of a God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. We are told of a God whose dwelling place is with humankind, and the fullest revelation of that God is in Jesus Christ. This God who makes all things new, this God who came to us in the person of Jesus Christ also gave us a new commandment, that we love one another. We are told in Scripture that this is the supreme, the greatest commandment, love God and love one another. This is how we show we belong to Jesus if we have love for one another. This is how heaven comes to earth. Over 130 years ago, Leo Tolstoy published a short story that began with these words. It once occurred to a certain king that if he always knew the right time to begin everything, if he knew who were the right people to listen to and whom to avoid, and above all, if he always knew what was the most important thing to do, he would never fail in anything he might undertake. Tolstoy's king, being wise, devised a clever solution. He announced he would give a great reward to the person who could answer his questions. The most educated men throughout his kingdom quickly arrived to share their wisdom. The problem? Even though those were clearly the wisest men in the land, they all had different answers. On the first question, when to do the things, some said he should plan everything in advance. Some said he must pay attention to everything all the time in order to know when to act. Some said he should let his counsel decide all questions of timing. And others said only magicians can know the perfect timing of things. And then there were all sorts of ideas about who the important people were. Priests, council members, warriors, doctors, and lots of suggestions of the most important things to do. Worship, research, train in warfare. The king was frustrated. Wasn't there anyone in all the land who knew all the things? So the king did what we would all do in such a situation. He took off on a journey into the woods to find a wise hermit who could answer his questions. When he came upon the hermit, a frail man working with some difficulty in his garden, he immediately announced, I have come to you, wise hermit, to ask you to answer three questions. How can I learn to do the right thing at the right time? Who are the people I most need, and to whom should I, therefore, pay more attention than to all the rest? And what affairs are the most important and need my first attention? This being a fable, the hermit simply ignored him and continued his work. As the king noticed the hermit looked quite tired, 
he offered to take his spade and take over the digging. The hermit happily handed him his tools and rested for a while while the king dirtied his hands with the hermit's labor. The king, after some time, repeated his questions, and of course, again, the hermit said nothing. And then, all of the sudden, the hermit and the king were startled by a man running out of the woods, clutching his bleeding stomach and collapsing in front of them. The king and the hermit immediately tended to the man's significant injuries and spent the rest of the night cleaning his wounds, changing his bandages, and offering sips of water. In the morning, the man thanked the king profusely and informed him, of course, that he had actually been in the woods to try to kill the king yesterday to get revenge, but instead he had been attacked by the king's bodyguard. He expressed his deep gratitude to the king for saving his life, though his intent the day before had been to kill him. The king, thankful to have made peace with his enemy, decided to head home, but sought out the hermit one last time to answer his questions. To his surprise, the hermit told him, Your questions have already been answered. The king was shocked. The hermit had not answered him at all. The hermit proceeded to tell him that when the king found him, the most important thing to do was to help him, for the hermit was weary, not to mention that if the king hadn't stayed, his enemy would have caught him and likely killed him. And when the man eventually burst forth from the woods injured, he became the most important person and the most important thing to do was to help him, for then he never would have reconciled with his enemy. The hermit told him, Remember then, there is only one time that is important, now. It is the most important time because it is the only time when we have any power. The most necessary man is he with whom you are for no man knows whether he will ever have dealings with anyone else. And the most important affair is to do him good, because for that purpose alone was man sent into this life. End quote. Brothers and sisters, God's dwelling place is here with us. God's purposes will play out as God plans. How, then, should we live? As children of our Heavenly Father, loving one another, doing good to those we can. Now is the time. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the glimpses we get of your eternal realities. Help us to do your will, to fix our eyes on following you in the here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.
The home of God is among us. God will dwell with us as our God. We will be his people, and God himself will be with us. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne says, See, I am making all things new. Amen. <laughs> 